Action Church, you doing well? Yeah, here at the 11 a.m. service, excited to be with you. Week five of 10 Commandments. Everybody say, thank God that's over. No, I'm just kidding. It's been, it's been awesome for all of us, just getting through it one week at a time. The 10 Commandments, basically just proving that we're not the seeker-friendly, attractional church that everybody says. It's just not, it's not as fun as they thought to go to Action Church. That's what we're trying to do, make it hard for people to go to help make it fun to go to church, except the last five weeks called the Ten Commandments. And I'm gonna be honest with you, if the first service is uh, any, um, any indication, it's not gonna get easier today. And so buckle up, deep breath, everybody. We're gonna get through this together. Uh, we're gonna link arms, and uh, it's gonna be great. Uh, we're gonna get to commandment nine and 10 in just a, a moment. Just some easy ones, you know, just like lying and coveting. And so just, just real... Real, real light topics, just real watered down. God's standard, God commands are, are important. I wanna go back to our, our theme verse just for a moment, 1 John chapter two, and remind us that, that we know that we've come to know him if, if we keep his commands. Now, I wanna be very clear that we are not a church that believes that the gospel is not a gospel that is demanding of what you and I do to get to God. This gospel is not what we can do, it's what Jesus already did for you and for me, that we believe in a relationship with Jesus that changes everything, that it is not what man can do to get to God, it's what God did to get to me and you to reconcile us to himself through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. However, as believers, if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we should look differently. We know, we've, we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So it's not just our outside witness. We talked about this last week. It's not just what people will see. It's that God wants to do something on the inside of us and our obedience to his commands, his standard, or our ability to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and then repent and change. It actually completes some things on the inside of us. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That you and I, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we follow Jesus, as we follow God, the Holy Spirit will continue to make us look more and more like Jesus. These 10 commandments are the beginning of, of God's law, of God's standard, and they're given to God's chosen people, the people of Israel, as they're leaving captivity in Egypt. They were in captivity for over 430 years. Moses led them out. He goes up to Mount Sinai in the wilderness and gets these 10 commandments that are the beginning of the Levitical law. What I need you to hear today very clearly is that, that God's laws are, are freeing. They're not something that holds us captive. Let me say it this way. God's laws are not restrictive, but they're protective. They are God's standard giving to his children to protect them and to set them up for success. God's laws are better than man's laws. We've been having some fun. I found four more state laws. You guys want these last four or no? The rest of you are like, no, just please don't, don't talk to us anymore about the commandments. No, it's, it's gonna be, we're gonna get through this together. God's laws are better than, than man's laws because if, if we don't have a, a true heart change, we just try and uh, uh, basically achieve this behavior modification just by telling people what they can and can't do. That's not Christianity, but that is man's way of doing it without God. And so we found over the last five weeks about 30 just ridiculous state laws that are still in existence. Here's four. In Virginia, 
in Prince William County, it is illegal to keep a skunk as a pet. It makes sense, you know, I, like, I just wonder how, I just don't know how we got there. Like, who thought it was a good idea in Prince William County, Virginia, Washington, it is illegal to poach a Sasquatch in at least two Washington counties. Now, what counties do people actually believe that Sasquatches are real? I've seen too many documentaries, you're too gullible. Ridiculous. Oregon, it is considered speed racing offense in Oregon if you participate in any test of physical endurance while on the major highways. If we just like start doing push-up contests on the side of the road, like I just wonder, like humans, men and women gathered in a room, paid for by our tax dollars and wrote these laws and they had a vote and thought, yep, be good, no more push-up contests on the side of the road. Like just, these laws are stupid. Wyoming, Wyoming, this is this one's really practical. In Wyoming, purchasing scrap metals, rubber, rags, or paper from an intoxicated person is prohibited. <laughs> that became a habit for people. Like saw a drunk person, hey, can I buy some scrap metal, bro? Like I just don't. <laughs> if we're not careful, we'll look at God's law like we do man's law. It's just something that we should or shouldn't do. And what I've trying to do in a lighthearted way is just let you know that God's laws are better than man's laws and they're meant to give you freedom, not take it from you. And these 10 commandments, the first four are God-centered, the last six are people-centered because he knows if we don't get our relationship right with him first, that we cannot get our relationship right with other people. And so we've studied the first eight. Let's dive into these last two. Exodus chapter 20, uh, starting uh, in verse 16 today. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Basically, you must not lie. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. You must not testify falsely against others. You gotta be careful about what comes out of our mouth, church. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I just wanna ask you a question before we get into false witness and, and lying and all things you're getting to, are, are your words, the ones that you say, the ones that you type, the ones that you write, are they helping those in need and are they benefiting those who listen? Are you building people up or tearing people down? Are you honoring God? Are you standing for right things but also helping those in need or are we misusing our words? Remember that famous scene from A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson and, and, and Tom Cruise? Remember it? Great film. I think it's rated R. I don't know if a pastor can recommend it. Watch it on TV. Watch it on TV. Watch it with your kids first. You ever watch old movies with your kids? You're like, whoa, that was bad. You get a better, you get a better filter when you're a parent. You're like, oh, this will be a good movie. You're like, oh my gosh, it's not a good movie. Earmuffs. Few good men. He's, he's trying to get him riled up and he says, I want the truth. He says, you can't handle the truth. It's pretty good. I give that like a solid 6.8. Yeah, 6.8. I don't smoke enough to sound like Nicholson, but you get it. It was deep. It was projected. You can't handle the truth. The truth is, the truth is the only thing we should be handling. In our life and in our mouths and our opinions. Think about a courtroom setting for a second. Let's say you and I are called as a key witness. We're the key witness and 
and we're uh, being examined and cross-examined in four minutes, hours, maybe even days. We're, we're the key witness, and so we're interrogated, and we're asked all these questions over and over again. Did you know that you could answer every question correctly, full of truth, just how it happened, but then one statement that is off, one statement that is perjury, one statement that is a lie, the judge will throw out your whole testimony if you lie one time. Because based on that lie, we can no longer trust everything else that you said. That's why this is so important in our Christian walk is that we live a life above reproach and our words are important that we tell the truth and that we place value on the truth because a lie can discount a lot of true things. You can do a lot of great things, but one dishonest thing will discount all of the rest. Once trust is broken, it's tough to get it back. Once your word is no longer valid, it's tough to get people to believe in you. It places a filter on everything else you say and everything else that you do. Our words are important. James first, uh, chapter one, verse 26 says this, those who consider themselves religious, like Christians, doing the, the right thing, if you will, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. That's tough, James. I love the book of James. I can just live in the book of James. Brother James was not very life-giving, but he's very honest. Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something here that sometimes we say that, you know, we're, we're, we're discredited by our actions. And that's true, we should live a life above reproach, that we should be people of action that do what we say, but sometimes what we've done is discounted by what we say. You ever met somebody that does a lot of the right things, uh, you know, reading their Bible, praying, fasting, giving, attending church, but they just cannot keep things to themselves that should be kept to themselves? Like I'm gonna do all the right things, but I'm gonna say all the wrong things. Nobody's gonna believe the right things you do have pure motives because of every toxic thing that's coming wow. out of your mouth. Wow. Lies, false witness against others, lying, hurts relationships maybe more than anything else because it rots the very foundation of trust. The enemy is the father of lies because he knows if he can get us believing and speaking lies, he can divide us because there's no more trust. Catch this, there's no more integrity. Integrity is not just morally good, it's sound. A building has integrity, it's stable. And there's integrity when there's trust and when there's honesty, when there's lies, there's fractures in the building and the relationship cannot stand because there's a lack of One of the main ways that he gets us to false witness falsify information about fellow believers or Christians or even people is through gossip and criticism. I'm just gonna get all up in our business here for a minute. Come on. It always usually, always usually, that's kind of, always usually, yeah. That actually could work. Always usually starts like this. Hey, hey, did you hear? Did you hear about that? You know, well, I heard. Oh, yeah, who'd you hear from? I don't remember. I think I made it up in my head. 
We have a society that no longer values journalistic responsibility, and so we don't do it with our own opinions and our own words and our own thoughts. We can just say whatever we want with no accountability. You know, I heard, you didn't hear that from anybody. You made that up on a whiteboard earlier. You wrote that in your notes. I think this, and then you started saying they said. First off, if it's in your own head, it's really, really bad, but they, they haven't been right in a long time. Just fill in the blank. You know, they say, who are they? And they've been wrong a lot lately. Just in general. But we spread lies and maybe saying, Pastor, I don't lie about people. Well, I'd love to cross-examine on a case-by-case basis. Let's just pretend you don't. You don't blatantly lie about people. Great job. It may not be a lie, but it may not be completely true. Here's how we do it. Most Christians don't lie about people. They just don't tell the whole story. Gossip is usually one-sided. So there's not the whole story, it's not even half the story, it's just one part of the story. Let me illustrate. You can gossip and lie without lying. Let's say we have a 5,000 piece puzzle. And this puzzle is a beautiful landscape. It's got a sunrise and a beautiful sky and, and, and a stream with water and trees. You could be describing a situation, track with me, you could be describing a situation, just describing the, the trees. So they're green and they're full and this is what it looks like and there's branches and you're describing the scenario that you're having with somebody that is is true, but it's only a picture of the puzzle without any context to the bigger picture. Therefore, it is true what you're saying, but it's not true to the situation and therefore it's lying and it's gossip. Why I didn't hear the true thing at the wrong time or at the wrong place is still the wrong thing to say. Let me just say it really plainly. You can't fix anybody that's not in the room. So why are you talking about it? Stop. Stop. It's ugly. And it leads people away from the things of God. Maybe more importantly, it leads you away from the things of God because it hurts you. You must not testify falsely against others. Let me flip it for a second. You must not testify falsely against yourself. When we say it all the time at Action Church because it's such a struggle in our generation, we tell the best lies to ourselves. And Jeremiah says the heart above all else is deceitful, so when we tell those lies to ourselves, the problem is we believe our own lies. And when we tell them so much and believe them so much, it actually becomes true to us. And maybe more than any time in my life, at least 37 years, but 2020 to 2021, we love our opinions. And we will never let a fact get in the way of our opinions. Said this way, we love our opinions and we love to ignore facts. Come on, a fact can be staring you right in the face and you say things like, I don't agree. (laughs) My shirt is black today. I don't agree. I think it's an off gray. Sky is blue, that's your opinion. Nope, it's pretty blue. But we say things like, no, I just don't, I don't agree. Sounds good, makes you feel empowered, but it's silly. Shirt is black, sky is blue. And yet we lie to ourselves to value our, our own thoughts and our, our own opinions. We say things like, my truth, can we just be honest, your truth is just your opinion. The enemy's just giving you a new label that sounds stronger. 
It's not truth, it's just an opinion. My truth is the sky is purple. Well, that's great, sweetheart. <laughs> but it's still blue. Let's go to 2 Timothy. I told you this is, this is just gonna be, it's gonna be lots of fun today. 2 Timothy. Come on, stay with me. It gets worse. I love how practical the Bible is because this thing isn't new where people have traded in truth for, for feelings. Paul writes to, to Timothy here and talks about the last days and you know, there's so much, many people trying to discredit the authority of the word of God and it's crazy how many times we see prophecies come true and things that are described thousands of years ago being lived out perfectly, like it's just not possible that the Bible is not true. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter three. You should know this, Timothy. Again, this is Paul, the apostle, Timothy's pastor writing to him as Timothy leads the church in Ephesus. He says that in the last days, there will be difficult times. He's one for one. Anybody had some difficult times lately? Not all the hands up, but people in here are just having great days. Great, I'd love to trade some days with you. Can you please tell me what you're doing? and let me follow you. For people, come on, he goes two for two, for people will only love themselves and their money. Sounds familiar. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, mocking him, removing him, disobedient to their parents. All the parents said, amen. amen. That's, that's, my, kids are, you, my kids are in this service, you guys are doing great. Overall, a <laughs> little bit of work every now and then. And ungrateful, they will consider nothing sacred, nothing's off limits. They will be unloving and unforgiving. Come on, check this one. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Sounds like our world a lot of times, our country a lot of times, trading in good for evil and looking at things of good and calling it evil. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. Check this one out. And love pleasure rather than God. If it feels good or sounds right, I'll take that over God's standard. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Paul says, stay away from people like that. Verse 14, this is what we should do. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. They've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture, not some, not just what we agree with, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And that there lies the problem. We don't like to be wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I need to change. I'm perfect the way that I am. Corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do everything. Good work. We gotta stop lying to ourselves, church. Like, like Paul here is writing, he's not writing off of a theory or a doctrine, he's writing off an experience. Like he knows God's word to be true. 
He cannot bear false witness against others or against God or against himself because he's experienced the power of the presence of God. It's not something that he had just seen or heard from a distance. The road to Damascus, he met Jesus face to face, going to kill other Jews, going to martyr Christians. He met Jesus and had a moment that changed everything. And once you encounter the truth, you gotta catch this today, once you encounter the truth of the living God, the loving God that gave everything for you, you cannot settle for a lie anymore. Once you know the truth, a lie will never do. Once you know the creator, you'll never settle for a counterfeit. We gotta stop lying to others. We gotta stop lying to ourselves and we got to build our life on what we know. Not what we think. Not the questions that we're asking. What we know. You cannot build a life on question. You can ask questions, but it's a poor foundation. You build your life on the truth of the word of God. It's the second one. Today, we shouldn't covet. We should not seek something or want something that's not ours. Let, let me read it for you real quick and then we'll, we'll summarize it. Let's go back to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. You must not covet your neighbor's house, even if it's bigger than yours. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, even if she's, no, I'm just kidding. I was. Just trying to bring it to life, everybody. Calm down, calm down. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's great. Your male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Let's just sum it up with saying, do not covet or do not long for things or do not want things or do not try and steal things that aren't yours. And I really think it's the last one. I really think it's the last one. I think it's God kind of putting a bow on these 10 commandments. Because if you get the first four, you're, you're following God and you love God. If you get the next five, ones we've been talking about ending with lying, you're gonna get a lot of the things that you should be doing. I, I fall in love with God. I, I honor the Sabbath. I have no other gods before him. I don't make any idols. God is the Lord of my life. And then from that place, I begin to treat people differently. And if I have that relationship, I won't do those things. And this last one is just saying, hey, hey, everybody, don't get distracted. Remember the first nine, follow God, treat people like he would treat them. Don't basically look at God and look at your calling. Don't let the enemy, this last one is saying, hey, don't, whatever you do, don't get distracted on things that aren't even yours to be distracted by. That's not your struggle. That's not your success. That's not your calling. Just stay focused on what God did for you and what he has for you. Because coveting, if you think about it, coveting is just insecurity manifested. I don't feel okay about me, so I wanna take something from you. And so let's talk about coveting from the context of insecurity for a moment. And insecurity can come from multiple forms or multiple places. Insecurity could be based on recent failures or rejection where you feel like I want what you have because I'm not good enough. I've been rejected in this area, and if I had this or that, if I had this monetary thing or this relational thing, if I just had this, I would feel better. And the truth is, you won't feel better unless you actually get that fulfillment from God. We're seeking approval. Uh, the, the 
the buzzword these days is, is codependency. We're codependent on somebody else or something else for us to feel better. And God is saying, don't seek approval, seek me. Why would I want more if I already have all of God? He doesn't like anything. And so this last one is us taking our eyes off of our provider and looking at what he provided for other people. We're seeking approval. He said, no, seek God. Matthew 6 says, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all of the other needs we met as well. So basically saying, you, he said, you put me first. It's amazing when you put him first, how well he takes care of you. But even more so, it's amazing when you put him first, how much you don't care about some of the details anymore because you're focused on him. We're focused on his perfection and his righteousness and his character. But if we're not careful, the enemy will have us insecure, focused on our character or our performance or what we're trying to do to get to him. The second insecurity is driven by perfectionism. That we've gotta be great. We've gotta seek success. Don't seek success, seek God. I wanna take a break just for a second and talk directly to you here at Winter Park and at all of our locations. I need you to get this today. You are enough. You're enough. God doesn't make copies. He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't start with you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. You had value to him and to the plan he has for you. You are enough. There is nobody like you. And the gifts and the talents and the passions that are on the inside of you are needed in the kingdom of God. You are enough. The second thing is you have enough. You have enough. Think about it. If God doesn't make mistakes and you're in this time and in this place for a reason, you have everything you need to accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish. If you don't have it, you don't need it. Pastor, I need, if I had this, I would do. No, you wouldn't. You aren't doing anything right now. You wouldn't do more with more. You'd do less with more. You're lazy. And that's an excuse. You are enough and you have enough. If you don't have it, you don't need it. Or, come on, church, if you don't have it, maybe you're not ready for it. Maybe the very thing that you're wanting God know if you got, crush you. More influence, more money, more responsibility. Maybe your current limits aren't limiting you, maybe they're directing you. I guess I'm stuck right here. No, you're not stuck right there, you're placed right there. And creativity never comes in limitless situations. Creativity always comes in limiting situations because you have to trust God and say, God, what have you given me in this box, in this season, in this setting? And from this place, I can lean on you and trust on you and create something worth why? Insecurity based off perfectionism. Here's the last one, insecurity based off some real anxiety, lack of confidence based on social anxiety. Come on, social media, just for a second. A lot of us are coveting because we're comparing. Come on. You feel pretty good about you until you look at somebody else. Come on, your kids, your family, your house, 
Well, let's be real for a second. Your vacation, you were just content. You love, but you were at the beach this summer and you were like, man, family vacation, beach, look at this. You're posting, getting some likes, some comments. And you see Sally in Fiji. I hate Sally. <laughs> Sally flew first class to Fiji. I crammed my five kids in a Fiat to New Smyrna. Three of them are sleeping on the floor. I just went from celebrating to crying. Because comparison either leaves you arrogant or insecure. Because when you compare, there's always a winner and a loser. And instead of being content in what God had for you, we covet because we compare. There's no comparison in the kingdom of God. When your day of eternity, it's not gonna be you and somebody else standing there and there's not gonna be a winner and a loser. It's just what you were given. What you were trusted with. If we stop looking around so much and we look to God and to our own journey, we'd be a lot more content. We gotta take our eyes off of other people and back onto Jesus. Let me just give you three practical things when it comes to looking and comparing. Because we could be trying to win. Write this down. The affirmation that we would get online or through others when we compare, the affirmation is masking. Because we're masking the the void on the inside that only God could fill with an affirmation for somebody else. Catch this, the criticism is crippling. And have you noticed that it's usually the people that say the loudest things know you the least? They're saying, I heard, because they don't talk to you. Therefore, So invite them back to the hole where they crawled out of. Comparison is blinding because it takes our attention off what we should actually be fixing. God can't continue to fix us if we're focused on other people. We're seeking counterfeits and God is asking us to seek Him. And whether it be glory or sorrow from others when it comes to our coveting, our comparison, it's just never gonna fill the void that you and I have. We gotta put our attention back on God. Come on, it's what it says in Matthew 6. Let's close out Matthew 6 and the Matthew 22 team. Matthew 6 says, but seek first His kingdom his righteousness, what God wants, then all of your other needs will be met as well. I wanna close with Jesus referring to the commandments, Jesus referring to the law. The religious leaders are trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to pick his favorite law. If you don't know the Old Testament, there's 613 Levitical laws given by God and just praise him for the New Testament and we'd have to memorize all 613. You know what I mean? Like I just, 2021's got its struggles, but I think I'd have struggled with number like 476. You know what I mean? Like some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor. There's 613 Levitical laws 
We're reading a Bible, everybody, today. It's in the New Testament, I'm just kidding. There's 613 laws. There's 10 commandments. And the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. They're saying, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? They want him to pick one. Like they're like, is it number 111, 331, 417, 613? And then Jesus, I love how Jesus always answers questions with questions or with redirection. Cause he's like, I know what you're asking, but you're missing the point. Your question isn't even close to what's important. Let me answer your question with a totally different answer so you can actually begin to understand who I am and what I'm doing. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses, the, the 10 commandments, the 613 Levitical laws. Jesus replied, you must. He uses their language. You, you must. He's giving them a commandment right here that they're ready. They're like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna give us an 11th commandment or he's gonna tell us the, the most famous one. He's like, no. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And I think that's important. Let's not brush over that church. All of your heart, like everything on the inside of you. It's gotta be a full conversion, a surrendering of, of my heart to his, all of your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and then your thoughts surrendered to him. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second one is equally important. So he doesn't separate these. So it kind of goes from 613 to summary and 10, kind of the broad brush of the law, the 10 commandments to Moses. And then you got a one and a 1A. It's not a one and two, these are even. They're equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. There's, there's a translation, the, they, they hang on these two commandments. So loving God and loving people is what the 10 commandments hangs on which means you can do a lot of righteous things with the wrong posture and the wrong heart and be completely in the wrong. It's not about what you do, it's about what he did and the posture and the filter in why you do it. Jesus, it's not a separate thing. Old Testament, 39 books. New Testament, 27 books. Old Covenant and New Covenant. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And we think he redirected here. We think he changed the game here. He did not. Go back and look. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Love your neighbors, your love yourself. Sound familiar? It's the Ten Commandments. The first four, God-centered, love God. Honor the Sabbath. Have no other idols. The next six, don't kill anybody. Don't steal from anybody. Don't take anybody's property. Don't take anybody's relationship. Honor people with your words. What's he saying? Love God and love people. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He did not answer the question. He gave the question an answer that was actually able to live out, saying, hey, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. Hey, we'll get to that. What you need to know is you will get the do's and don'ts if you actually have a relationship with me, loving God and loving people. Let me leave with this. You cannot love God and hate people equally as important. This is not the time for hateful Christians to stand up and be right in all the wrong ways. The world is hurting and in need of a savior. God's kindness leads men to repentance.
we got to stop being known for what we're against. This series is not 10 commandments of what we shouldn't do. It is two filters saying love God and love people. And that's what we're known for. We love God with all of our heart. God, we're going to be passionate with all of our soul. We're going to surrender our feelings and our opinions to him with all of our mind. We're going to know our word. We're going to love God and then we're going to love people. We're going to let the expression of our love for God overflow into a community and let them know that we're here for them. We love them. We support them. It's not do's and don'ts. It's what he did and what he did should change how we see him and how we see people. That is the filter of the Ten Commandments. Honoring God and loving people well. Let's bow our heads to all of our locations. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. Thank you for the series. Thank you for your word. Exodus 20, 1 John. Thank you that if we will allow it, it will change us. Church, every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our locations. I wanna give you an opportunity like we do every single week to start a relationship with Jesus. Jesus being the perfect son of God, lived a perfect life. It's important because you and I could not. We need to be reconciled an unholy people to a holy God that demanded a sacrifice, a life. And that was Jesus on the cross. His life gave him access to be that sacrifice. His death gave you and I access to the Father. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, salvation. His resurrection gives us access to victory over sin in the grave. Our job is to surrender, to accept. So I want to give you that opportunity today at all of our locations to accept Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord. That word Lord is important because it's control. I am going to love the Lord, my God, with all of me, heart, soul, and mind, strength. That's you today, Pastor Justin, that's me. I want to pray and invite Jesus into my life. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Come on, for the first time. Maybe I'll recommit in your life today. I'm making God the Lord of my life. Yeah, one, two, three. Anybody else in here? Proud of you, yeah. Come on, Sanford, South, and Oviedo. God's moving in your auditoriums as well. Proud of you. We thank you for meeting us here. Put your hands down. Pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud. Say this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. Gotta give you that place today. Complete control. Have your way. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. God, I pray for all of us, every single person, from the first time guests to pastors on staff. God, let us prioritize you more in our life. Really, but nothing else above you or beside you. Let us honor you, pursue you, be presence-driven people. And then with that filter and that foundation, let us love people let us see people the way you see them. You sent your one only son to die for them so that we treat them that way. We offer them a hope that we know can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. We love you. Praise you in this place. Everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all of the decisions? Come on, really celebrate it. We're so proud of you.